Let's take the Word of God this evening and turn to the book of Exodus and chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. We, uh, uh, the section here from uh, chapter 5 really through chapter 12 is the record of the ten plagues. And we, we may tend to come to these uh, portions of Scripture and we may tend to think of those as some you know, dark moments. But really what we learn, we learn some great things about God. Uh, we learn some great things about how merciful and gracious God is in the midst of those dark times. And uh, we come now to plague number four. And so we're going to read here Exodus chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 20. But I want to remind you again why God brought the plagues upon the Egyptians. I mentioned that first of all, God brought the plagues to, ma- to manifest His mighty power in a public fashion. He also brought the plagues to display uh, His wrath against Pharaoh and against His cruel treatment of the children of Israel. He brought the plagues to exercise judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians and to demonstrate that He is greater than all small g gods. And it's evidence, evident uh, here in this in this. Um, in this portion of Scripture, we also know that God brought forth the plagues to stand as a warning to all other nations. The children of Israel are going to be remembered, or God's going to be remembered for what He did to bring about the redemption of the children of Israel. And lastly, God brought the plagues to test the children of Israel. They had issues themselves that needed to be resolved, and one of those was idolatry. And God would use those plagues to show them that uh, some of the idol worship that had crept into the nation of Israel uh, had to be uh, removed uh, as uh, they were delivered from God. Now, thus far, God has turned the water to blood. Now, you remember the Nile River turned to blood. That, w- that lasted for seven days. Then in chapter 8, we have um, the frogs. They were everywhere. We know that after the frogs came, Pharaoh appealed to Moses to ask the Lord to take away the frogs. And now the frogs are not going to disappear. The people are going to have to put them in heaps all over the land. And you can imagine, the Bible says the whole land just stunk. It's it, just from the carcasses everywhere. And you can imagine the scene there. And then the plague number three, we talked about the lice on the body. And this plague if you remember, came suddenly and without warning to Pharaoh because Pharaoh had not kept his word. He had said he would let the children of Israel go and then he came back on his word. And if you remember, when the lies came in the land, the dust became lies, immediately all Egyptian worship would cease. Why? Because the Egyptians would Uh, shave their entire body, they would cleanse themselves, and the priests particularly would not go into the the temples of their gods to offer worship if there was any type of defilement in the body. And with lice everywhere, they would not be able to go into the temple as defiled. And so all Egyptian worship stopped. Now we come to the next plague. And so we begin reading in verse 20, Exodus 8, verse 20. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, 
and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground where the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron, and said, Go ye sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet to do so, so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarm of swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, there remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let <coughs> the people go. I'd like to bring your attention to um, both verse 22 and 24. I'm trying to convey a summary of this plague. And if you notice in verse 22, God says, I will sever... In that day, the land of Goshen. The word sever means to, se to separate or to divide. So if you think about the first three plagues thus far, they have been uh, unconditional. They've been on everyone. Both the Egyptians and the children of Israel. The Nile turned the blood, the frogs everywhere. Both the Israelites and the Egyptians experienced that. And the lice as well. Um, now, this plague is going to be different the land of Egypt is going to be severed or divided into two parts. So, so the next plague is going to come only in the part of the land that is inhabited by the Egyptians. In verse 24 at the end, the Bible says, after the plague comes, and the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. The word here... Um, Corrupted means completely devastated, ruined, and destroyed. Now that's going to be a peculiar type of flies there, and I'm going to talk about that. So I want to preach this evening on this as we think about plague number four. The division and destruction of the land. The division and the destruction of the land. As we uh, summarize here, leaving the first four plagues and coming into the next I guess you could say three plagues. I think there are some points here. Often you can divide those plagues into stages. Often people might put the first 
three plagues in the first group and then uh, the next uh, number of plagues together. And the reason why they do that is because a number of things happen. Now, we also know up to this point, the magicians, after plague number three, will no longer appear after plague three. So now, remember plague number three, they try to duplicate what had happened. After this, you no longer see or hear about the magicians. Why? Because you can say they have been defeated. You remember what they said to Pharaoh? This is the finger of God. And then they're done. Then, what we also see now in this plague is that now God makes a division between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. So that's different because thus far in the first three plagues, the plagues have been on everybody who is in the land, whether Egyptian or, 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 or Israelite. But now there's going to be a division in the land. And so the swarm of flies in the next plague is going to be in the portion that is inhabited by the Egyptians. And the portion which is Goshen, where the children of Israel dwelt, is going to be unaffected by the swarm of flies. And thirdly, I think that we're going to see here that the severity of the plagues are going to intensify significantly. Now, so far we think, all right, water turned to blood, frogs, lice, flies. That doesn't seem to be worse, but as we study our text, I think I'm going to uh, prove to you that it got much worse in this plague. As we think about our text here, I'm going to divide it into three main points and then we'll expound on those. I want us to, first of all, in our text, consider the announcement of the plague. So if you remember, plague number three, there was no warning. In other words, Pharaoh, after plague number two, after the frogs, he had told Moses and Aaron that he would let the people go if God took away the frogs. God took away the frogs and Pharaoh changed his mind. And so then plague number three came suddenly and without warning. There was no meeting between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. The plague just happened because of uh, the deception of Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, in this plague that Moses is going to warn Pharaoh... After this plague, Moses is going to remind Pharaoh and says, Don't you deal deceitfully with us. Don't lie and say one thing and then do the opposite thing. But we come to the announcement and notice here, as we think about the announcement, we see the announcement is threefold. First of all, in verse 20, we see the confrontation with Pharaoh. The Bible says, And the Lord said in verse 20, He said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water... And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, as I've mentioned here, this is a peculiar time because we've already observed back in Exodus chapter 7, verse 15, that God told uh, Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh early in the morning by the water. So if we think about that, that means this, that Pharaoh, by way of pattern, would go early in the morning by the water. Now, the water would speak of the Nile River. Now, the reason why this would be common for Pharaoh is because all along the Nile River would be different temples that had been built by the Egyptians, and each temple would represent a different god that the Egyptians worshipped. And so it would be a pattern here so far for Pharaoh to go to the water, to go by the Nile River, to offer probably some type of sacrifice, offer some type of worship first thing in the day, first thing in the morning. And it is interesting that God chooses to send Moses at the exact time that Pharaoh is heading to the water. Twice now. 
We know that each plague is going to be an attack on an Egyptian god or a multiplicity of Egyptian gods. And so here, this is no different at all. And so we see here that the confrontation is going to happen early in the morning. And notice here, I also note that the message is very repetitive. So Moses, he's going to come to Pharaoh and he's going to have something good to say. Something deep. Let the people go. That's it. And by the way, Moses is going to repeat that message over and over and over and over again. Uh, and the message seems quite simple, but you might think that Moses after a while said, well, don't I need to you know, say things a little differently? Or uh, maybe try to convince him by uh, saying something maybe in a different way. But he says the same thing. And so we see the confrontation with Pharaoh. What ap- happened early in the morning. What happened at the hour of worship for Pharaoh. And the message would be the same. But then we see here, if Pharaoh refuses to listen to Moses, we notice in verse 21 the ramification upon the Egyptians. The word, verse 21, what's the first word we find in verse 21? Outs. Well, every parent knows what that means. Clean your room or outs. Right? Do this or outs. And so we're familiar with this. Now, the word outs... Uh, basically sets forth a warning. This is a warning. It gives Pharaoh basically a choice to make. You have a choice, Pharaoh. Let the people go or else this is what's going to happen. You see, the decision is clear. Let the people go or suffer the judgment of God. Now, this is a hard message to speak, isn't it? Now, we, we, we read those stories, but think about how difficult it would be for Moses to do that. To stand before the king of Pharaoh, who is a god, who thinks of himself as a god, who the Egyptians perceive to be a god, and he says, you obey God or else. You see, Pharaoh would not like an ultimatum. You reason with Pharaoh. Uh, But neither do people today. You see, when we think about, let's try to relate that to today, the preaching of the gospel is an ultimatum. But people don't like to hear. But yet, it doesn't mean that we must cease speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an ultimatum. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or remain in your sins and die in an eternity in hell. That is an ultimatum. And by the way, it is a pretty serious ultimatum. But Moses here, he confronts Pharaoh, but he also declares the ramification to the Egyptian Pharaoh. And, and by the way, we could think about that in relation to Pharaoh not liking to hear that. It is not like human nature to give an ultimatum, to receive that and to say, uh, you have a choice, there's a line in the sand, you go this way, uh, good, you go this way, judgment. Pharaoh probably didn't like that, neither do men today. But you know, I, I find that if you, uh, if you study in God's Word, when uh, Jesus Christ wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor... He gave gave them an ultimatum as well. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus writes and He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or out, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now Jesus Christ is just telling the churches, right? They had left their first love. Uh, they, uh, I guess the motivation behind serving God was not the right motivation. He says, look, repent 
or else I'll remove that candlestick. I will remove your influence in the world for the cause of Christ if you don't repent. Uh, later in Revelation 2.16, he says, Repent or out, I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword uh, of my mouth. Now, in, there, in that case, he's talking about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So the churches were, was becoming infiltrated with false doctrine. He says, look, repent of the false doctrine or out. So God deals with us uh, with an ultimatum when it comes to the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or else. But also in our Christian life, we all face ultimatums. When, when God wants to speak to our hearts, often He says uh, in His Word, declares in His Word plainly, uh, get right or else. These are the consequences that will happen. Now, nobody likes ultimatums. I, I think that human nature wants to stand in the middle. When you draw a line in the sand, choose this way or that way. We like to stand in the middle. Pretend that we're not making a decision. But to not make a decision is to decide. And so we see the ramifications upon the Egyptians. Now again, I'm going to talk and expound on, on the flies. The, the, the ultimatum, if thou wilt not let my people go, verse 21, Behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of, of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. That's the ramifications. But then we see the distinction between the people. Something is going to be peculiar about this particular plague that hasn't been seen yet. There's going to be a dividing. Notice verse 22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen. Now, remember, the land of Goshen was the best part of the land in Egypt. When uh, Joseph invited his uh, family to live in Egypt, they were given the best part of the land. And so that's where they're dwelling. In which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So thus far, the children of Israel have experienced the plagues with the Egyptians. However, in this fourth plague, only the Egyptians will be affected. Now, we may speculate here, we may say something like this, well, God does not want His people to suffer with them. Well, if we say that, He's allowed them to suffer with the Egyptians thus far. So why would anything change? I think... The scripture gives us the answer. We don't need to guess. Notice verse 22. I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in the which my people dwell, in which, and no swarms of flies shall be there to the end. For what purpose? That thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. God is going to divide and, and make a division between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. For the simple reason that is stated in the scriptures, so that Pharaoh would know that God is in the midst of the earth. Now, the reason why it's important at this point is because Pharaoh probably thinks something like this. Well, wait a minute. The plagues that have come has, has affected both the Egyptians and the children of Israel. The water being turned to blood, that affected everybody. The frogs everywhere, that affected everybody. Everybody's experienced the stench throughout the land. The lice, that affected everybody. 
But here, there's probably God steps in. And I think when we look at the scripture, when the Bible says God uh, tells Moses, tell this to Pharaoh and tell him that I'm going to make a division between the Egyptians and the Israelites because I want him to know that I'm in the midst of the earth and I'm going to prove to him that I have control over all these things. And so, so it would be that God would be in the midst of the land and would have control over, over where the swarms of flies would go. They would be limited to the portion of the land that was dwelt and dwelt by the Egyptians. And, so, and I believe as soon as you stepped over into the land of Goshen, no flies. You step back into Egypt, swarms of flies everywhere. Why? So that Pharaoh would know that God is in control. So we see the announcement, but then we see the anguish. Now, Pharaoh, um, apparently, we read verse 24, and the Lord did so. So apparently they had the meeting. We don't read about that meeting. We just read where God tells Moses and Aaron, go to Pharaoh early in the morning, give him this message. We don't read, have the record of them actually doing that. We read of the play coming, so we're assuming Pharaoh did not listen. Uh, Pharaoh refused to let the people go when Moses and Aaron brought the message. And the Bible says in verse 24, And the Lord did so, and there, uh, there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Now, I entitle this point, The Anguish, because we think about the severe judgment. I want you to notice the expressions in verse 24. The, the first thing we read is the Bible says, There was a grievous, a grievous swarm of flies. Now, it didn't say a swarm of flies. It says a grievous swarm of flies. The word grievous here means heavy, severe, many, much. The word grievous conveys really the severity and the intensity of the fourth plague. Okay, so lice, frogs, by the way, wasn't the lice everywhere? The, the, the dust became lice. The frogs covered the land. All the water became blood. Those seem to be pretty severe. But apparently here, that's the first time this word has been used so far in the plagues. It's grievous swarm of flies. Now, I'll explain that. We'll see why. why. Why was this so grievous? So far, we read this was heavy. Uh, this was severe. What is so severe and heavy about it? Well, we read twice the expression swarm of flies. Verse 24, the Lord did so, and there was a grievous swarm of flies. At the end of verse 24, the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Now, at this point, we receive insight from other portions of Scripture. Because flies are certainly not pleasant to be around. I, I've mentioned this before. I don't like flies. My children know if we sit for dinner and there's flies going around, i got to get the swatter. And uh, I'm typically pretty persistent. So I don't like flies. They're not pleasant to be around. However, in Scripture... The flies that we're reading of, I don't think that they're to be understood as we understand them today. I want you to turn with me to two portions in the book of Psalms that refer back to this 
account. Psalm, the first one is in Psalm 78. Turn to Psalm 78. Let's see if we can get some insight in. Uh, remember, the word is grievous, swarm of flies. How could it be so severe? It's just flies. Uh, notice Psalm 78, uh, verse 45. Now, let, read verse 44. Uh, and had turned the rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. Verse 45. And he sent diverse sorts of flies among them. Notice, which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. Okay, so notice the flies here. The Bible says which devoured them. Now, the word devour here literally means to eat up. Well, the flies we have to they don't, don't really eat us up. They eat our food, contaminate the food, but here we think which devour them. So at that time in Egypt, there were many kinds of flies and insects. Uh, we are not talking here about one particular type of fly. Rather, uh, we, are, we have to think about many varieties of flies. Because the Bible says, and notice Psalm 70 verse 45, He sent diverse sorts of flies among them. So in other words, it was not just one type of flies. It was diverse sorts, different types, uh, different varieties of flies. Uh, uh, think, go, go with me to Psalm 105. Turn to Psalm 105 and verse uh, 31. Psalm 105, verse 31. Verse 31, notice Psalm 105. He spake, and there came diverse sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. So notice again, diverse sorts of flies. So the word diverse here means basically a mixture of various flies. So, diverse, we read swarms of flies. I think there would be a swarm of a particular type of fly together. And then there would be another swarm of fly, which would be probably a different variety of fly. And so there'd be these different swarms that would just invade. Uh, you know how sometimes you have a swarm of insect and they pass through an area. And so that would be a kind of the scene. But again, they would be everywhere, all throughout the land, in people's houses, on people's bodies. Now, according to historical books, we find the mention of blood-sucking uh, gadfly or dogfly, they were called. Uh, there was also known... Uh, there, we all, there, was, there was also uh, the, I think I'm saying it right, the ecnumen fly, which would basically lay eggs on other living creatures or on somebody's body, which then would produce larvae, which would feed on the people's flesh. And so when we think about here, uh, those flies, we're not, we, we can't think about flies in our day. We have to think about flies in that day blood-sucking flies or flies that would lay eggs on people's bodies that would produce larvas and that would eat up the flesh and feed on the flesh. And so that's why I think the word in Psalm 17 verse 45, the Bible says, the swarm of flies which devoured them. So this is a pretty serious plague. Uh, blood-sucking, flesh-eating flies. That's what we're talking about. It is interesting to even to consider the ichneumon fly was regarded at the, as the manifestation of God, you cheat. Uh, this was not uncommon for many different types of insects 
Many insects in Egypt were revered by the Egyptians. They were worshipped by the Egyptians. And so when they would see a particular swarm of fires, often they would revere or worship a certain god. And so while we think about the lice would have been a great annoyance, the swarm of flies would be very painful. You see, this judgment would be really tormenting the bodies of the Egyptians while the children of Israel were exempt from that judgment. We read even the statement, if you go back with me to Exodus chapter 8, verse 24. So we read here that it was grievous, grievous swarm of flies, severe, heavy. Uh, they were swarm of flies, so there's different varieties, different sorts, uh, flat devouring them, eating them, all those things. But then we read at the end of verse 24... The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And the word corrupted here means decay, ruin, destroy, to perish, to spoil, to waste. In other words, there was no place to go in Egypt apart from the land of Goshen where these devouring flies would not be found. The land was corrupted William Wilson's word study, he says, it means to make good for nothing. And so the Bible says here that the land of Egypt was corrupted. It was ruined. It was made basically a wasteland because of those swarm of flies. So I think we could say that's not the typical flies. Flying creatures, not like we think about today. Very severe judgment. Now, verse 25, we come now to the appeal of Pharaoh. So we find the announcement, the anguish, and now the appeal. The magicians had failed. The Egyptian gods had proven to be powerless. The Nile had been subject to the power of the living God. The stench of the land with innumerable dead frogs was repulsive. The lice had made the body unclean and irritable. All worship of Egyptian deities had ceased in a moment. And now the land is made waste, is ruined, is destroyed. So what could Pharaoh do here but turn to the God of Moses and Aaron for relief. He had already done so once. What else could he do? And so here, as we read in our text, we see that Pharaoh, he is going to offer a compromise to Moses and Aaron. So let's read verse 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and, Aaron, and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God. What's the last three words? In the land. What land? The land of Egypt. You're in Goshen. Why don't you just offer sacrifices there? In the land. Remember what the request was? Three days journey into the wilderness. Not in the land. And so Pharaoh here, he's offering a compromise. Well, offer sacrifice. You can do that. I'll grant you permission, but you will do that in the land. Now, now by the way, this is a refusal of Pharaoh to submit to God. Now, I, I refer here to the word compromise, and, and often we, 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 um, we may look at somebody and we say, 
uh, or somebody that's maybe gone away from the Lord, we say, oh, that person, he's a compromiser. You know, I use that word compromise, but the better word would be disobedience. Because sometimes we, we may use the word compromise as a softer tone for disobedience. We offer kind of God an option. Well, how about this? Well, I'm not going to obey you, God, but how about this? Doesn't that sound good? You see, compromise is really disobedience. Uh, That's the Bible word. So, Pharaoh offered a compromise to Moses and Aaron. They would be permitted to sacrifice within the Egyptian borders. Now, Moses rejects Pharaoh's offer at the compromise. Now, notice verse 26. Um, interesting what he says. Moses said, It is not meet, uh, meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Now, to understand what's going on, I think here, based upon what we know about the Egyptians, there was something that was... Um, the Egyptians and the children of Israel had... At variance. One of those that the Egyptians despised was that the fact that many of the Hebrews were shepherds. We already see that they despised that. The second thing that we know about the Egyptians and the children of Israel is that the children of Israel, when they offered sacrifice, they would offer, you know, oxen and sheep and different types of animals, which would often be revered by the Egyptians. And so I think here that Moses and Aaron are saying, You really want us to do that? We're going to offer, notice he says, verse 26, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians. So in other words, whatever sacrifice they were going to offer to God, he said the Egyptians are going to look on what we're doing, and they're going to consider that an abomination. And he says, if they see that we do so, so in ver- at the end of verse 26, Shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? In other words, what the practice of the children of Israel to the Egyptians would be sacrilege. And the punishment, probably in the land, because Moses refers to it, would be, they're going to stone us, they're going to let us die. And so whatever sacrifice they would offer, it would not be appealing, it would not be acceptable to the Egyptians. So that would produce more conflict in the land. So, okay... Verse 27, Moses continues, As we will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He shall command us. So, now, by the way, he he didn't have to say all that other part. He could have said, we're just going to do what God said. Now he gets around to it. He gives probably the Pharaoh something to think about. You really don't want us to do that. You didn't really think about what, what... what you are proposing here. And then he finally says, look, we're just going to do what God tells us to do. Uh, Pharaoh, just so you know, you're the one appealing to God. God is in charge. You are at His mercy. And so, I don't think, uh, uh, Pharaoh, that you have grounds here to debate. Okay? So Pharaoh tries again, verse 28, said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. (laughs) Okay. 
So the second attempt at compromise, they would be permitted to sacrifice, but not go very far away from the borders of Egypt. Now remember, what was what did Moses say? Three days journey. That's not close to the border. You know, disobedience, that form of compromise. We have to be careful as Christians. Now here, this, in this particular case, let's think about the big picture. God commanded the children of Israel to go three days journey to offer sacrifice three days journey. That was God's command. That's what God wanted to do. If you remember, in the first meeting that Aaron and Moses had with Pharaoh, they said, if you don't do that, God's going to judge us. We need to obey God. You remember that? Let's, let's go back, just so that we, we know here uh, what I'm telling you is true. Go back to Exodus 5. Notice verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So notice they told Pharaoh, we need to obey God. We rather obey God than man. So, offer sacrifice in the land. That's not obeying God. But wait, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you, I'm letting you, allowing you to sacrifice. Well, okay, okay. Well, we can't really do that. doesn't really make sense, but just don't go too far away. Stay close so I can keep an eye on you. Compromise is obedience. Three days journey was the command. As Christians, we have to be careful. Sometimes we, we may justify what we do and we may regard as some areas where we are obedient as justification for the other areas in our lives where we are disobedient. Well, I'm, the, the, the children of Israel could have said, well, look, we are doing what God said. We are sacrificing. We're just doing it in the land. But that's not what God said. Well, He told us to sacrifice, right? We, we are really obeying Him, kind of, sort of. That's disobedience. Uh, okay, well, you can't do that. Just stay close. Okay, well, look, we're actually outside of Egypt. I, I, know, I know it's not a three days journey, but we're just outside. We are worshiping God. We are holding a feast for God. We are offering a sacrifice to God. We basically said everything that God said except the three days journey part. Well, wait a minute. That's disobedience. You see, when we think about compromise or better said disobedience, we may use our obedience in certain areas as a justification to disobey in other areas. And we say something like this. Well, I am obeying the Lord in this area. So may the Lord help us. Parents, if you deal with your children and you give them specific instruction and they do everything except a few things, 
You don't tell them, oh, well, you obeyed, you did a good job. No, you say, well, you didn't do this. What do they say? Well, I, I did this, and I did this. Human nature, as adults, we can do the same with God. Well, look at the good areas. All right, let's move on. Moses here in verse 29 responds says, Behold, I will go out from thee and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh. Now, I, I, to be honest, I was perplexed here because I thought, well, Moses doesn't respond to the stay close. So really we don't know what Moses decided. He just said, I'll entreat the Lord. But what I'm interested in is, is the, what Pharaoh said. Because Moses just basically said, all right, at the end of verse 28, Pharaoh says to Moses, entreat for me. We don't find whether Moses agreed with the second compromise or not. We just know that Pharaoh said, entreat the Lord for me. But I think that Moses knows that there's something going on. I think the reason why Moses didn't say, no, we're not doing that. We're going three days journey. I think because he knows what Pharaoh's about to do. Now, that's the only thing I can think of because notice verse 29. Moses said, Behold, I will go out from thee and will entreat the Lord for uh, that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, Don't deceive us. You see, I think the reason why Moses didn't say, say to Pharaoh, no, no, we're going three days, we're not staying close, is because I think he knew Pharaoh was planning to be deceitful because he said it to his face. Don't deal deceitfully with us. You remember the first time Pharaoh did that? When he saw that there was relief, he changed his mind. I think Moses knows that this is coming. But we learn something here again about human nature that is helpful. By the way, Moses rebuked Pharaoh for his past deception. That's um, in the same chapter back in verse 8. Remember, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat uh, the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Well, he went back on that promise. Now, the question here we have to ask is, what was Pharaoh interested in? Mm, that's, that's the question. He was interested, really, I think, in personal comfort rather than submission to God. He was interested in personal comfort rather than submission to God. Now, many who find themselves in troublesome times often pray asking the Lord for deliverance and they often pledge that they will get their lives straightened up if God could just take them through this. If God could just deliver them, then they will serve God. Uh, right? Uh, somebody goes in a, is in a car accident. Well, God, I know you're trying to get a hold of me. God, if you bring me through this, if you bring me alive through this, I will serve you. And then they get better and they don't serve God. In the moment of distress, they call on God not because they're interested in submitting to God, but they're more interested in God making them comfortable. I think that's what Pharaoh is doing here. You see, he is limited. He, he, 
He limits his submission to God when things are well, then when things um, when things are not well, then when things are well, they forget the pledge. That's what Pharaoh, by the way, he's already done that. Take away the frogs. I'll, I'll do what God says. Frogs go away? Nope. Well, I'll serve God if God brings me through this terrible time. And God brings you through the terrible time is, nope. You see, we cannot limit, limit our submission to God when things are not going well. You see, if submission to God is predicated on God improving our lives then we have not learned submission to God at all. You see, Pharaoh said this, I will let you go, but entreat for me. You get that? I think that's what revealed it to Moses. You see, when is submission to God genuine? When will submission to God have been genuine for Pharaoh? It would have sounded something like this. I will let the people go, even if God doesn't take away the plague. That is submission to God. No, he said, well, well uh, look, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. I promise I'll let you go. Just entreat for me. Please, please, just entreat for me. Make the problem go away. Well, that's what human nature wants that is not interested in submission to God. God, make me comfortable, then I'll serve you. And then when God makes us comfortable, we don't serve him. There's a fly, by the way, that's been running around the pulpit here. So. so I think here that Moses seems to know that something is wrong because he rebuked Pharaoh to his face. You're being deceitful. Now, here is the subtlety. Do you, do you think Pharaoh wanted the flies to go away? Well, yeah. Isn't it interesting that Pharaoh knew that only God could take them away? But he is still not interested in submitting to the, to the only one he knows can take the flies away. That is mind-boggling, isn't it? So verse 30, Moses went out from the Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Notice the last words. This is pretty impressive. This is our God. There remained not one. Wow. Now, the plague in itself was spectacular. But think about how spectacular this second part is. Not one. All the flies. Now, now by the way, this would be strange for Asia because obviously the swarm covering the land would not be typical, but there would still be those flies in Egypt. But God says, you know what? I'll take every single one of them away. There's not going to be one fly in Egypt. Pharaoh, notice verse 32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. What's the next word? Also. Neither Will he let the people go? I suggest to you that submission to God 
on the basis of how comfortable he makes us is no submission at all. It's not submission. It's not getting things right. It's interesting that Pharaoh wants to just kind of, he, he's treading the line. Stay in the land. Stay close to the land. It seems like, oh, he, he seems to be doing better. No. Not at all. What are we more interested in? I submit to you that when we know that we're submitted to God, we get to the place in our lives when God brings things about in our lives where we'll say, God, like Job, it doesn't matter what you bring in my life, I will still serve you. Job himself said, if he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That is submission to God. God, you take my life and it's all over. I will still serve you. That is submission. We, we do not have grounds to place conditions on God. We do not have grounds to place conditions on God. He, however, has grounds to place conditions. Outs. Do this. Or outs. Now, the plagues, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this. I try to do it every time here because I want you to know how wonderful and gracious and merciful God truly is. We think of the plagues and we think, oh, what an awful God. And I think of the plagues now and think, what a wonderful God. That He would not just at the very beginning at Pharaoh's first rebellion just stamp Him out and make Pharaoh a, a public example before the nation to show all the Egyptians that Pharaoh is no God at all. And that all the Egyptians, uh, that all the gods that the Egyptians worship are no God at all. And God could just dangle them in front of everybody and say, Look, they are nothing. They are helpless. They are powerless. But yet God is merciful and gracious. And he says, Here's the next plague. Get it right. You're not going to get it right? Okay. Here's the next one. And here's the next one. And here's the next one. And I want us to leave the place thinking, Man... God is so patient. He is so kind. He is so merciful in how He deals with men. And by the way, He deals the same with us. I think that's why Romans says, The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. I really believe that. When you get an appreciation of God and who He is in His Word, you realize how gracious and merciful He is, even though He is righteous and holy and just and good. And He would be right to judge men as soon as men sins. But He is gracious and merciful. So I hope that we leave this having a greater appreciation for God. And really that God would not need to bring things in our lives where we said, look, I'll submit to you no matter what you bring in my life. And when I've wronged, I will be okay with your judgment continuing, but I will submit to you, even though I will still be in troublous times, because you are God.